last few months, uh, you know that Brother Crownover uh, enlisted in the Army, and he's going to be heading back our way uh, tomorrow night. And if you'd like to go and support him and encourage him, he's on uh, U.S. Airways Flight 677 from Phoenix at 7.54 p.m. So coming back from basic training and all of his training. And uh, the Crownovers are going to be moving. He's going to be stationed in El Paso City, Texas. And uh, so have a hot summer down there. Uh, but Sharon uh, was scheduled to sing today. And she asked if we could all three sing together, sappy, 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 um, since she's going to be moving. So, um, so I get to sing with my two little sisters today, and I apologize because I just sang last Sunday, so I didn't know this was going to happen. But we're going to sing a song called Wonderful, Merciful Savior. You are the one 
starting a new series this morning and I'm excited about it. I've been pumped up about this topic for a long time. As I said, we got to go up to youth camp for a couple days this week and hearing those soon-to-be adults talk around the campfire was exciting stuff. They were talking about uh, reaching out of their own environment out to their friends and talking about not letting their decisions just be camp time decisions, but ones that would last. And uh, this series really speaks to turning the issues that we care about into action steps. We're going to start the series by describing from the, the Scriptures here the Christian cause. And the title of the series, I'm sure you saw on the screen or in your notes in your bulletin, is Turning Caring into Sharing. The Christian cause is this thing that we know from the New Testament. I mean, we, most people who've been to church at all could, could quote the beginning part of the Great Commission, go into all the world and teach the gospel or preach the gospel to every creature. But you might be surprised to find out that the foundation of that cause is actually in the Old Testament. That's where it comes from. And our, our first text passage is in 1 Kings chapter 8. This morning at the dedication of Solomon's temple. And so we're going to start in 1 Kings 8. But if you've never read this whole chapter, it is such a powerful thing that, that took place when Solomon built the temple to glorify Jehovah God. We're going to start a reading in verse number 54, 1 Kings 8. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. 
that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times, as the matter shall require, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that we have to come and worship you. And I pray that in these moments of time that our hearts would be focused on what you have for each of our lives. I pray that this wouldn't be just another church service where we show up and go through a ritual, but that you would speak to us in a mighty way, not just as individuals, not just as families, but as an entire church body, that we would follow the Christian cause in a better way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I would guess just uh, from the fact that we're at a, a Baptist church here this morning and we have a good crowd gathered, I would guess that most of the people in the room today would profess to be followers of Christ. No matter what your denomination is or where you grew up or what church you belong to or what church you've been to, um, most people here in this room would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. In fact, when they took a poll recently, the Pew Forum Research Poll, um, 91% of all Americans said they believe in God. Now, I find that I'm not trying to be a skeptic. I'm not trying to be cynical. I find that a little hard to believe. If nothing else, because of the chaos that's taking place in our nation. And, and sometimes we are quick to judge those outside entities. Like, I noticed that the approval rate for Congress is now below 10%. One out of 10 people, and it's probably the person who's never watched the news or read the newspaper, think that Congress is doing a good job. And sometimes as believers or followers of Christ, it's easy to point the finger and say, well, goodness gracious, if they would get their act together, we could do so much. And the unfortunate thing is if we would get our act together, it would probably help. Do you know in the United States of America, there are 15,000 churches this morning that claim to be unaffiliated Baptist churches that are independent of any denomination. They just take the name Baptist because of the principles of God's Word. There are 45,000 Southern Baptist churches. That's on their own role. You know, that's 60,000 churches together. If each of those churches, including ours, would have brought 10 people to Christ in the last four years, 10 people voting age, it would have swung the last election. If each church brought 10 people into faith. And, and so there's an easy thing about pointing the finger and saying, oh, this is people in Washington. It's those people at the state house. But really, it all starts in the church house. And uh, we profess to be followers of, of Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you would certainly also profess to want what God wants. 
The Bible is such a fascinating and living set of writings. It all comes together into one story, the story of God's glory. And uh, I would challenge you with something. Some summer or, or some year, do a task that I believe will change your life. I know many of you read the Scriptures on a regular basis. But if you read the Bible as God's story of His glory, and you just took one book in order of the Bible and read it each day for 66 days, it could literally change the way you process God's Word. Um, a lot of times we, we pick and choose the verses here and there, but this is one book that has come together under God's direction. And I believe this is what would strike you if you did it that way. God is glorified the most when the people of the earth know that He's God and worship Him as God. We can say that we want what God wants, but in reality, it's easy to become self-centered. In reality, it's easy to live for personal glory and, and lose focus entirely on what it is that God cares so much about, the people of the earth. And this morning, I, I want to show you four history lessons from the Old Testament that are united in one purpose. And they describe one thing, the cause. The cause. And we read in the, in the passage here in the text that all the people of the earth may know our God. That there is no other God. And so we're going to start back in Joshua chapter 4. And I hope you can follow along in the notes. We're going to start by talking about crossing a river. Crossing a river. Joshua chapter 4. The children of Israel had been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And even though it wasn't their favorite place, they had gotten used to it. And now God had told them to pass over Jordan into a new land. Stepping across the Jordan River was huge. It meant leaving the circle of comfort, everything that they had known and heading into the zone of the unknown. Crossing that river meant something different to God, though, than it did to His own people. Look at verse number 19. We're in Joshua chapter 4. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Now look at verse number 24. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. God parted the waters. All they had to do was cross on dry ground. And it's it, so huge. Verse 24 there. The cause was that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. 
And if you had asked the average Israelite, what's the point of crossing that river? They may have given you the standard chicken joke answer, right? To get to the other side. And have you ever asked, by the way, how many have an iPhone? How many have an iPhone? The rest of you ungodly people should get your act together. I'm just kidding you. Um, but if you have an iPhone, if you ever ask Siri, why did the chicken cross the road? Uh, that's fun to do. Try it out sometime. Um, find somebody with an iPhone. But the average is like, well, what do you cross the river for? Well, God told us we had to get to the other side. That's their perspective. God's perspective was, I did this so that all the people of the earth would know me. I did this so that all the people of the earth would know the hand of the Lord, that it's mighty. And God has done that in so many ways for mankind. The heavens, the Bible says, declare the glory of God. The firmament, the, the very skies show His handiwork. In fact, it says in Psalm 19, there is no speech nor language where the voice of His creation is not heard. The general revelation of creation has gone to the end of the world. God wants people to know His glory. And I know you're sitting out there, great history lesson, Pastor. What does it have to do with 2013? And uh, you folks always ask the right questions. Uh, I'm so thankful for that, because now I get to apply that truth for you. Thank you for asking that. Um, do you know there are rivers that God parts every day so you can walk across? There are opportunities that God provides for you to spread His glory. And He just needs you to take the steps. And so often what we think is a trip to the doctor's office or a trip to the store or a walk to the mailbox, in God's eyes is an opportunity to spread His glory. It's an opportunity for Him to share truth with some other individual. And He just needs us to take the steps. Sometimes it's just to walk across a room to meet an individual who might look burdened or alone. I was reading the testimony of a man who had been Muslim all his life. And he lived in a, a southern city in the United States. That, along with his line of work, made things uncomfortable sometimes. And one night he was at a work party, standing alone against a wall like normal. And he watched as a man who was engaged in conversation with some friends noticed him and left his little click and walked across the room, stuck out his hand, and introduced himself. And they talked for a few minutes about mutual profession and families and business and sports. And eventually, they began to discuss faith. And the Muslim man was hesitant. He, he didn't know if he wanted to share this, but he let it out. He said, I'm a Muslim. And the other man said, well, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. But, but here's what he said. He said he knew almost nothing about Islam. And here's what the man said in his testimony. His direct quote. He said, you can imagine my surprise when he asked if I would do him the courtesy of explaining the basics of Islam over a, a cup of coffee sometime. Really? And when we think of Muslims in Idaho, is that what we think? I'd like to sit with this guy over a cup of coffee sometime so he can explain what he believes to me. 
probably not right up there on our top ten list. Right? But how does God see it? I read John 3.16 again this week. You know what it said? For God so loved the world, except Muslims. For God so loved the world, except homosexuals. For God so loved the world, except drug addicts. Nope. For God so loved the whole world. You know what? I'm thankful for that because I'm part of that. I am as much of a sinner as any Muslim anywhere on planet earth today. And so are you. So this man said, hey, would you do the courtesy of explaining the basics of Islam over a cup of coffee sometime? So they met. And then they met again. And they started meeting up almost weekly. The Christian was engaged and compassionate in listening. And one day, one day after weeks and weeks and weeks, months had gone by, and one day, the Muslim finally did it. He asked about the Christian's beliefs. You know, this Christian man patiently described why he had given his whole life to this person named Jesus Christ. And through many more meetings, they became fast friends. And one day, that Muslim man was home alone, and he knelt down beside his bed and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And that decision changed everything in his world. But you know, it started with a walk across the room. See, God had already parted the waters. God had already placed Holy Spirit conviction and a need in this man's life. And somebody just needed to walk across the room. Somebody just needed to walk across the street to pick up that kid's ball that rolled down the road. Somebody just needed to walk across the waiting room in the doctor's office where that couple's crying. Some of us, if we would just walk across the room, you know what we'd find out? God's already parted the waters. God's already opened the door for us to be what He created us to be. And a believer with the awareness that God might be parting some waters again is what God's looking for. God might be providing an intersection between your path and the path of some other person in need of a Savior. Why? That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. Now, leaving your circle of comfort isn't easy. Going into the zone of the unknown takes courage. But it's exactly what God wants us to do. And if you would tell God something like this, you'd be amazed at what happens in your life. God, make me aware of waters you've parted. And give me the courage simply to have a conversation and see where you take it. I'm not asking you to go stand on the street corner with your Bible open and preach out loud. I don't believe that's what God's asking us to do. I don't know, some people do that, and that's great if they reach people for Christ. But can I tell you that most of the time, people are reached through a conversation initiated by a spiritual being. 
The example of that being Jesus Christ, who was willing to converse with the woman at the well. Jesus Christ, who was willing to talk with a woman who had just been brought in, accused of adultery. Jesus modeled this walk across the room for us. And so we see crossing a river, but then I want to see killing a giant. Killing a giant. Head from Joshua to your right, uh, to our next history lesson over in 1 Samuel 17, the most famous story in the Bible. I'm not going to go into the details of David and Goliath. Pretty sure you could tell me the story just as well as I could tell it to you. Suffice it to say that Israel faced a big obstacle to God's glory. His name was Goliath of Gath. And when a teenager named David took up the cause, he did it with a clear motive. He was ridiculed for his passion, even by his own brother. What older brother doesn't pick on the little brother? I mean, goodness gracious. Of course, being an older brother, I never picked on anyone. Um, 1 Samuel 17. Look at verse number 26. We'll catch up there. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? It taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left us few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Look what David said. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Look, there was an obstacle to God's glory in the valley. And David wanted him gone. Who cares if he was a giant? It always fires me up to read David's words down in verse 45 where he's given it to Goliath. Look what he says, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Hey, if it means doing something way outside of the box, something courageous, whatever it takes for the whole earth to know there's a God. And David knew it wasn't about him. It was about God's glory. With that same motive in mind, It is important that we find the biggest obstacle to God's glory in our lives and pick up the sling and the stone and put the giant down. So here's the question. What's stopping you from the cause? What's stopping me from the cause? And I have to be honest with you. My biggest obstacle to letting the people of the earth know who my God is 
is me. It's me. It's self. It's fear. It's selfishness. What will they think if I say that? They might look down at me. I know I've never met this person before, but they may think, oh, ooh, scary. And it really it comes down to a hard heart towards souls who are going to spend eternity somewhere. See if you've ever had a thought similar to mine about a person God has nudged you to speak to. God, are you serious? That person will never become a Christ follower. You don't really want me to talk to him. I don't think there were many people who thought that Saul of Tarsus was in any danger to become a missionary for Jesus Christ. He was out killing Christians. Seems like God can change anyone. The giant that has to be defeated is usually right in here. If I can kill self, I'm able to be used as an instrument of the Spirit. And that's where turning caring into sharing really begins. Killing a giant. Third one I want you to see is this, and it's in our text passage in 1 Kings 8. Dedicating a temple. Dedicating a temple. God's covenant relationship with His people was precious. And, and when Solomon determined to raise a place of worship to magnify Jehovah God, even the wisest man on the planet couldn't fathom God's ultimate path, God's ultimate plan for the people of the earth. All right, I want to go back further in the passage than where we first started. Go back to verse 44, 1 Kings 8. And if you underline in your Bible, there's a couple of things that you're going to want to uh, pull your pen out for. Look at this, verse 44. If thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shalt pray unto the Lord toward the city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house that I have built for thy name, then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication, and, look at this phrase, maintain their cause. Boy, I have that one underlined. Maintain their cause. There's another if. If they sin against thee, there's no man that sinneth not. Now be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy so that they carry them away captives in the land of the enemy far or near. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whether they were carried captives and repent and make supplication unto thee. Look down now, verse 49. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven thy dwelling place and maintain their cause. I underline that one again. Now, back in the passage we read, look down at verse 59. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause. He maintained the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times. Same phrase repeated three times. Maintain the cause. So what was this big cause that needed maintained? Okay, if you have your Bible out, I want you to check this out. Look at the end of verse 59. Everybody see what the punctuation mark is at the end of verse 59? Everybody see it? What is it? It's a colon. Now, I'm sure that most of you in the room could quote for me all the rules of a colon usage in English grammar, right? 
Right, rule number one. A colon should be used. You remember those? How many of you even know what a colon's for? Like, it's my large intestine. I mean, it's about, <laughs> about where I'm at on that. So I had to look it up. Colon. Here it is. Rule four of colon usage in English grammar. And I quote. Here's rule four. Listen. Use a colon instead of a semicolon between two sentences when the second sentence explains or illustrates the first sentence. Now look again at verse 59 at the end of it. That he maintained the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require, colon. That means the next sentence is going to tell us what the cause is. The next sentence is going to tell us God's cause for all the earth. Look what it's right there. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. That is the cause. Now, now Solomon couldn't have known the implications of his own prayer. He could not possibly have known the impact that one of his earthly descendants would one day have as the Messiah, a light to lighten the Gentiles. After all, at this point in history, the Gentiles were a negative 10 toward God. They were heathen. They hated God. They were as opposed to God, the God of Israel, as they could possibly be. Could I throw out the thought that a lot of the people you walk across the room to meet will also be a negative 10 toward God? A lot of the people at your workplace are going to be a negative 4 toward God. Some of the kids that you go to school with or in your neighborhood are a negative 2 toward God. And you have to meet each person right at the point where he or she is. I remember when I was a teenager, we were trained in evangelism. And we learned Bible verses, great, you know, Romans Road, ABCs to Salvation, admit, believe, confess, right? Admit, believe, confess. Hey, admit, believe, confess. Hey. And uh, we were taught the sinner's prayer. You know, I've read the Bible like 50 times in my life. God's allowed me to. And I've never once ever read the sinner's prayer. Not in there. I never saw the ABCs of salvation. There's this thing in the Bible, though, called repentance. Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And sometimes we think that salvation for another human being is this lick em and stick em. Well, Romans 3.10 says this, and Romans 3.23 says this. And that's all valuable and that's all important. But you know that when you meet every person, they're at a different place in their lives. They're coming from a different point of view than you are. Oh, when I was a teenager, we'd knock on the door and we'd say, we're from Winter Hills Baptist Church and we're out here today in the neighborhood and we want to know if you go to church anywhere. And if they told you no, it was like fresh meat. Right? Fresh me. No, we don't go to church anywhere. Do you know if you died right now, do you go to heaven? Like you're 15 years old. I probably said it in a higher voice. Do you know if you die right now, you go to heaven? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. Are you 80% sure? 
70% sure or 100% sure? Well, that's hard to do. Uh, well, I'm not sure, kid. What do you need? Uh, and you'd go through, uh, you'd see this first here and see this first here. Would you pray to accept Jesus right now? Like, yeah, if you'll get off my porch, I will. <laughs> As a teenager, I would assume, going out, we went out every week. I would assume that that happened to me 40 to 50 times in the four or five years when I did it. You know how many of those people ever came to church with me? That'd be zero. Now, was what I was doing wrong? No, I'd been taught to do it. But you know what? There was no relationship. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. Say, Pastor, wait! You mean somebody couldn't be saved on the spot at their house or at Walmart? (laughs) No, they could be. But you know, there's also people who could be extremely confused at their house or at Walmart. And God has called us with a cause that is bigger than some lick'em and stick'em verses. God has called us with a cause that is massive. I already lost some of you because you're like, wait, pastor, ABCs of salvation is no good anymore? not saying that. There comes a point where you present that. But there has to be an understanding. There has to be a relationship that takes place. This cause is bigger than our salesmanship. This cause is bigger than how many names I can write in the back of a New Testament. This cause is that all the people of the earth may know there's a God. And when you read about this dedication of the temple thing, it's much bigger than I first thought. The dedication of the temple with the cause that all the people of the earth would know God is exactly what we find in the New Testament. Let's roam over uh, for a thought on this to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, just in case you take this first sermon in the series and think, oh my goodness, we're changing our evangelism model. Please stick around for the whole series. Because the last sermon in the series is going to challenge you like no sermon ever has before on evangelism. So stick around. And uh, so if you've got a blogger who's, who's bashing on Centennial that we're no longer an evangelistic church, wait until the end of the series before you let him blog. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? So the temple in the Old Testament was this big building plated with gold. Temple in the New Testament is you. It's me. Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Now look at verse 20. And if you circle things in your Bible, oh my goodness, there's two words to circle. For you are bought with the price, therefore glorify God. Now, here's the thing about American Christians. We think that we are the ones who invent the model of what it means to glorify God. Right? 
If I drive in the parking lot of a church on a Sunday morning, that glorifies God. If I come back that night, whoo, I really glorify God. If I go into a Christian bookstore once in a while, that glorifies God. If I listen to praise and worship music on my car radio, that glorifies God. You know what glorifies God? That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there's none else. You say, Pastor, wait, 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 wait. I don't agree with that. Prove it in the scripture to me. You know what glorifies God? That all the people of the earth may know that he's God. That's what glorifies him. Say, wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. What? I got a verse. I got a verse. I know some of you are thinking this right now. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, and what's to the glory of God? That all the people of the earth may know. What it means is, when you eat and drink, be mindful of the people around you. Because God may have parted the waters for you to tell them about Jehovah. Wow. That's the second time I've said wow. And it's big. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How will they know? They'll know because you have a dedicated temple. You are ready to be used by the Spirit. If you walk into every meeting, every day of work, every interaction with this thought, God, I dedicate my temple to you. I'm ready to be used. You will not believe the relationships that God will allow you to form for his glory. And you won't believe the impact you can have on eternity as his temple. Think of it. When you get up tomorrow, whether you walk into an office complex or a construction site, a break room, a classroom, a grocery store, you will be surrounded by a sea of faces. Some belonging to people that you already know and treasure, your friends and your family, but others belonging to perfect strangers. And just imagine the shift in your focus if you made a habit of approaching them all with this attitude. If you looked at every person you met and you thought this, my ultimate goal is to see how many of these people I can have on each elbow when I cross the finish line of this earthly life and run into God's presence for all eternity. Now this series... We're going to be talking about living life in 3D. You don't have to write these down because we're going to hit them. We're going to talk about developing friendships by engaging in the lives of people around you. We're going to talk about discovering stories. Before you can tell them your story or God's story, you've got to find out their story. And we're going to talk about discerning next steps by following the Holy Spirit's direction. You know, you're not going to be ready to follow God in His direction if you don't have a dedicated temple. And so there's an attachment between 1 Kings 8 and 1 Corinthians 6. Last one I want you to see. This is back in 2 Kings 19, and this is so huge. Standing for God's honor. Standing for God's honor. 2 Kings chapter 19. The mighty, or so he thought, king of Assyria. A guy named Sennacherib had gone out of his way to mock Hezekiah's great God. 
And this was intense. By the way, the fight for souls is going to be intense too. Look in verse 14. 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. This is intense. And Hezekiah had some internal apprehension. You could tell in his prayer. But he was certain that if he stood on the Lord's side, God would take care of the reproach and blasphemy. Did, did you catch his motive at the end of verse 19? I'm sure you did. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. All people, all people groups, we're going to talk about people groups in this series. I want you to stick around for the whole thing. But, you know, standing on God's side isn't always the comfortable place to stand. Standing for truth can get warm. And for the three Hebrew children, it got downright hot. In Daniel, they said, Oh, king, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. What's that mean? It means, king, we're standing with our God, and we don't care what happens. Would you be willing to stand for God's honor? Sometimes that is the loneliest place on the planet, but it's also the most peaceful place on the planet. There are people who are intensely opposed to God. They hate God. Sennacherib was one of them. Same passage, look at verse 27. God is talking to Sennacherib. Look what he says. But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears. Therefore will I put a hook in thy nose and my bridle on thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way by which thou camest. God was about to deliver a big spanking to Sennacherib. And it's going to be big. Why? Because Sennacherib said, I hate God. There are people in your life who have a rage against God. God took my, my uncle with cancer. God took my baby in an accident. God had this happen, and I'm mad at God. You know what causes every piece of pain that's ever been on planet Earth? It's a three-letter word, S-I-N. God has never done evil. Not once. God is eternally good. But Sennacherib said, I hate God. I want you to look at what happened. As we close, look at verse 35. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. 
For those of you who aren't into Bible math, that's 185,000 people. Here's my favorite part. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. It's just ironic. You just have to love that. When they woke up in the morning, they were all dead. You know, when it comes to the battle for truth, I want to be on God's side. I would rather stand for the honor of my God than have the applause of the God-haters. Pastor, I won't be popular at my school or in my workplace or with the neighbors. You know, Jesus apparently wasn't very popular either. They nailed him to a wooden cross. Would you accept the invitation God's giving you to walk across the room, to meet a person he loves and seeks for salvation? It's the most exciting thing out there. Experiencing a soul being changed by grace is better than anything you can find in this world. And this is where turning, caring into sharing begins with a cause. That all the people of the earth may know that you are God. And so if you want to be a part of a thing God cares most about for His glory, that's the cause. Would you bow in prayer with me? Here's what I'd ask you to do today. If, if you say, Pastor, I'm not a believer in Christ, we want to share truth with you about salvation. We want to form a relationship with you and know your story and know what you're thinking and what it, it could be in your life that's keeping you back from God. And so I'd encourage you to take my hand now or after the service and we would send you with the counselor to talk about that. But Christian, could I ask you to do this today? I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you say, God, I am willing to live for your glory? That's it. I'm willing to live for your glory. Whatever that's going to mean, I'm willing to do it. I am willing to live for the cause that's so important to you. I don't know what it means yet. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm willing to do it. Today, I'm going to ask you to take a step out on that willingness right after we pray, and come to this altar for a dedication prayer or kneel at your seat, or if you physically can't kneel, just sit right there. And uh, we're going to dedicate our church service today to the God of creation, that He might be glorified in us this week. Father, would You work in our midst during this time. Help us to be willing to step out and say, God, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know what I'm going to say but I'm available to be used for your glory. I'm available to be used for the cause that you've made for my life. Would you work now? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand? As you stand, I'm going to invite you to come right now as Brother Casey plays and sings. Come right, right now.